Chapter 11 Ever since he awoke on the spaceship, Ransom had been thinking about the amazing adventure of going to another planet and about his chances of returning from it. What he had not thought about was being on it. It was with a kind of stupefaction each morning that he found himself neither arriving in nor escaping from, but simply living on Malacandra, waking, sleeping, eating, swimming, and even, as the days passed, talking. The wonder if it smote him most strongly when he found himself about three weeks after his arrival actually going for a walk. A few weeks later, he had had his favorite walks and his favorite foods. He was beginning to develop habits. He knew a male from a female Hross at sight, and even individual differences were becoming plain. Hyoi, who had first found him, miles away from the north, was a very different person from the gray-muzzled venerable Hanra, who was daily teaching him the language. And the young of the species were different again. They were delightful. You could forget all about the rationality of Hrasa in dealing with them. Too young to trouble with him with the baffling enigma of reason in an inhuman form, they solaced his loneliness, as if he had been allowed to bring a few dogs with him from the earth. The cubs, on their part, felt the liveliest interest in the hairless goblin which he had appeared among them. With them, and therefore indirectly with their dams, he was a brilliant success. Of the community in general, his earlier impressions were all gradually being corrected. His first diagnosis of their culture was that he had called he had called Old Stone Age. The few cutting instruments they possessed were made of stone. They seemed to have no pottery but a few clumsy vessels used for boiling, and boiling was the only cookery they attempted. Their common drinking vessel, dish and ladle, all in one, was the oyster-like shell in which he had first tasted Ross hospitality. The fish which it contained was their only animal food. Vegetable fare, they had a great plenty and variety, some of it delicious. Even the pinkish-white weed, which covered the whole horandrimit, was edible at a pinch, so that if he starved before Hyoi found him, he would have starved amidst abundance. No, Ross, however, ate the weed Honadraxgrid for choice. Though it might be used faute de mieux on a journey, their dwellings, their beehive-shaped huts of still leaf and the villages, there were several in the neighborhood, were always built beside rivers for warmth and well upstream towards the walls of the Harandramit, where the water was hottest. They slept on the ground. They seemed to have no art except a kind of poetry and music which was practiced almost every evening by a team of or a troop of four, Hrasra. One recited half-chanting at great length, while the other three, sometimes singly and sometimes antiphonally, interrupted him from time to time with song. Ransom could not find out whether these interruptions were simply lyrical interludes or dramatic dialogue arising from the leader's narrative. He could make nothing of the music. The voices were not disagreeable, and the scale seemed adapted to human ears, but the time pattern was meaningless to his sense of rhythm. The occupations of the tribe or family were at first mysterious. People were always disappearing for a few days and reappearing again. There was little fishing and much journeying in boats, of which he never discovered the object. Then one day he saw a kind of caravan of Hrasa setting out by land, each with a load of vegetable food on its head. Apparently there was some kind of trade in Malacandra. 
He discovered their agriculture in the first week. About a mile down the Harandermit, one came to broad lands free of forest and clothed for many miles together in low pulpy vegetation in which yellow, orange, and blue predominated. Later on, there were lettuce-like plants about the height of a terrestrial birch tree. Where one of these overhung the warmth of the water, you could step into one of the lower leaves and lie deliciously as in gently moving, fragrant hammock. Elsewhere, it was not warm enough to sit for long out of doors. The general temperature of the Herandermit was that of a fine winter's morning on earth. These food-producing areas were worked communally by the surrounding villages, and division of labor had been carried to a higher point than he had expected. Cutting, drying, sorting, transport, and something like manuring were all carried on, and he suspected that some at least of the water channels were artificial. But the real revolution in his understanding of the Hrasa began when he had learned enough of their language to attempt some satisfaction of their curiosity about himself. In answer to their questions, he began by saying that he had come out of the sky. Hnranra immediately asked from him which planet, or Earth, Hadra. Ransom, who had deliberately given a childish version of the truth in order to adapt it to the supposed ignorance of his audience, was a little annoyed to find that Hanranra, painfully explaining to him that he could not live in the sky because there was no air in it. He might have come through the sky, but he must not have come from Handra. He was quite unable to point Earth out to them in the night sky. They seemed surprised at his inability and repeatedly pointed out to him a bright planet low on the western horizon, a little south of, of where the sun had gone down. He was surprised that they selected a planet instead of a mere star and stuck to their choice. Could it be possible that they understood astronomy? Unfortunately, he still knew too little of the language to explore their knowledge. He turned the conversation by asking them the name of the bright southern planet and was told that it was Thulkandra, the silent world or planet. Why do you call it Thulk? He asked. Why silent? No one knew. The Saroni know, said Haranra. That is the sort of thing they know. Then he asked how he had come and made a very poor attempt at describing the spaceship, but again, the Saroni would know. Had he come alone? No. He had come with two others of his kind, bad men. Bent men was the nearest Horossian equivalent, who tried to kill him, but he had run away from them. The Rasa found this very difficult, but all finally agreed that he ought to go to Oyarsa. Oyarsa would protect him. Ransom asked who Oyarsa was. Slowly, and with many misunderstandings, he hammered out the information that Oyarsa lived in Meldilorn, knew everything and ruled everyone, and had always been there, and was not a Ross, nor one of the Saroni. Then Ransom, following his own idea, asked if Oyarsa had made the world. The Hrasam almost barked in the fervor of their denial. Did people in Thulkandra not know that Maladil, the young and mate, had made and still ruled the world? Even a child knew that. Where did Maladil live? Ransom asked. The Old One. And who was the Old One? Ransom did not understand the answer. He tried again. Where was the Old One? He is not that sort, said Haranra that he has to live anywhere, and proceeded to a good deal which Ransom did not follow. But he followed enough to feel once more a certain irritation. 
Ever since he had been discovered that the rationality of the Harasa, he had been haunted by the conscientiousness scruple as to whether it might not be his duty to undertake their religious instruction. Now, as a result of his tentative efforts, he found himself being treated as if he were the savage and being given the first sketch of a civilized religion, a sort of Horasian equivalent to their shorter catechism. It might be plain that Maladil was a spirit without body, parts, or passions. He is not a now, said the Harasa. What is now? asked Ransom. You are now. I am now. The Saroni are now. The Fiftrigi are now. Fiftrigi, said Ransom. More than ten days' journey to the west, said Horanra. The Harandra sinks down, not into the Handramit, but into a broad place, an open place spreading every way. Five days' journey from the north and to the south of it, ten days' journey from the east and to the west. The forests are of other colors than, than, than here. They are blue and green. It is very deep there. It goes to the roots of the world. The best things that can be dug out of the earth are there. The Fiftrigi live there. They delight in digging. What they dig, they often with, uh, soften with fire and make things of it. They are little people, smaller than you, long in the snout, pale, busy. They have long limbs in front. No now can catch them or match them in making the, the, and shaping the things as none can match us in singing. But let none see. He turned and spoke to one of the younger Hrasa, and presently passed from hand to hand. There came to him a little bowl. He held it close to the firelight and examined it. It was certainly of gold, and Ransom realized the meaning of Divine's interest in Malacandra. Is there much of this thing? he asked. Yes, he was told. It was washed down in most of the rivers, but the best and most was among the Fiftrigi, and it was they who were skilled in it. Arbolhuru, they called it. Sun's blood. He looked at the bowl again, and it was covered with fine etching. He saw pictures of Hrasa and other smaller, almost frog-like animals, and then of Sorns. He pointed to the latter inquiringly. Soroni, said the Hrasa, confirming his suspicions. They live up almost on the Harandra, in the big caves. The frog-like animals, or taper-headed, frog-bodied animals, were fiftrigi. Ransom turned it over in his mind. On Malakandra, apparently, three distinct species had reached rationality, and none of them had yet exterminated the other two. It concerned him intensely to find out which was the real master. Which of the now rule, he asked. Oyarsa rules, was the reply. Is he now? The puzzled, that puzzled them a little. The Saroni, they thought, would be better at that kind of question. Perhaps Oyarsa was Hanau, but very different now. He had no death and no young. These Saroni know more than the Harasa? asked Ransom. The produced, this produced a more an, an a debate than an answer. What emerged finally was that the Saroni and Sorns were perfectly helpless in a boat and could not fish and to save their lives could hardly swim, could make no poetry, and even when Harasa had made it for them to understand only the inferior sorts, but they were admittedly good at finding out things about the stars and understanding the darker utterances of Oyarsa, and telling what happened in Malacandra long ago, longer ago than anyone could remember. Ah, the intelligentsia, thought Ransom. They must be the real rulers, however it is disguised. 
He tried to ask what would happen if the Sorns used their wisdom to make the Hrasa do things. This as as far as he could get in his halting Malachandrian. The question did not sound nearly so urgent in this form as it is, would have, uh, or would have done had he had been able to say, used their scientific resources for the exploitation of their uncivilized neighbors. But he might have spared his pains. The mention of the Sorn's inadequate appreciation of poetry had diverted the whole conversation into literary channels. Of the heated and apparently technical discussion which followed, he understood not a syllable. Naturally, his conversations with the Harasa did not all turn on Malacandra. He had to repay them with information about Earth. He was hampered in both by the humiliating discoveries with which he was constantly making of his own ignorance about his native planet, and partly by his determination to conceal some of the truth. He did not want to tell them too much of human wars and industrialism. He remembered how H.G. Wells' Cavar had met his end on the moon. Also, he felt shy. A sensation akin to that of physical nakedness came over him whenever they questioned him too closely about men, the nana, as they called them. Moreover, he was determined not to let them know that he had been brought there to be given to the Sorns, for he was becoming daily more certain that these were the dominant species. What he did tell them fired the imagination of the Rasa. They began making poems about the strange Handra, where the plants were hard like stone, and the earthweed green like rock, and the waters cold and salt. And Hamnana lived out on, on top on the Harandra. They were even more interested in what he had to tell them of the aquatic animal and snapping jaws which had, uh, he had fled from in their own world and even on their own harandrit. It was a nakra, they all agreed. They were intensely excited. They had not been in a there had not been a Hanakra in the valley for many years. The youth of the Hrasa got out of their weapons primitive harpoons and points of bone, and their very cubs began playing Hanakra hunting in the shallows. Some of the mothers showed signs of anxiety and wanting the cubs to be kept out of the water, but in general, the news of Hanakra seemed to be immensely popular. Hyoi set off at once to do something to his boat, and Ransom accompanied him. He wished to make himself useful, and was already beginning to have some vague capacity with the primitive Horasian tools. They walked together to Hyoi's creek, a stone's throw through the forest. On the way, where the path was single, and Ransom was following Hyoi, they passed the little Shihros, not much more than a cub. She spoke as they passed, but not to them. Her eyes were on a spot about five yards away. Who do you speak to, Riki? said Ransom. To Eldil. Where? Do you not see him? I saw nothing. There, there, she cried. Ah, he is gone. Did you not see him? I saw no one. Hyoi said the cub. The man cannot see the Eldil. But Hyoi, continuing steadily on his way, was already out of earshot, and apparently noticed nothing. Ransom concluded that Hariki was pretending like the young of his own species. In a few moments, he rejoined his companion. <laughs>